Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, hello. It's Thursday, and it's time to welcome you to Waypoints, where the Waypoint staff and friends take a break to nerd out and deep dive on the culture, art, and entertainment that's been inspiring and provoking us lately. Gather on the table this Thursday, we've got Patrick Klepek. Hello. And Austin Walker. Hey. Uh, so, Austin, I gather you had a late night last night. I did, too. Uh, last night, I became uh, recklessly convinced that I don't have a cold, that I am, in fact, uh, suffering from allergies. So, at around 11 at night, uh, despite being exhausted, I started deep cleaning my apartment and ripping down Christmas decorations, uh, with the result that I feel the same, roughly, except just really tired now. Yeah. Uh, uh, that... The thing you're describing sounds like a scene that could be in the second season of the TV show Homecoming. I could imagine it framed, beautifully shot from the from like a vertical perspective, looking down on the house as you move, you know, just from a one, one shot room to the other. Thing. Yeah, one take. Yeah, exactly. It would be beautiful. Uh, so yeah, you were up late last night watching Homecoming, which was my waypoint for the week, and I was curious if it would strike anyone else. It sounds like it did. Yeah, uh, you told us to watch what the first five episodes. They're short episodes. They're like yeah, they're 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 thirty minute TV episodes, so they're like twenty to thirty minutes long. Um, I didn't know what this was. I didn't. I had the wrong idea about what this was. I read the premise, which is that uh, uh, um, it is it takes place in a, in a place called Homecoming, which is a psychological treatment facility for soldiers returning from the war. Capital W because we're America and Plural. we're always at, we have the wars exactly. Uh, Julia Roberts plays a therapist. Um, there is uh, you know there, there is some 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 drama some some uh, secrecy and, and so I was imagining something in the vein of you know um, uh, kind of like a high end CBS procedural. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I thought it would and be... And Amazon, to be fair, and this area's on Amazon. Right. Uh, Amazon makes one of those. It's Bosch, uh, which basically is just what if a, you know, uh, standard, of, uh, you know, a very standard police procedural had a slightly higher budget. Right. And so what I expected was, like, drama around the treatment facility, maybe some secret CIA shit about the war, maybe some stolen gold. Right? You know, like, I, I expected it to be basically about war. And about and about a psychological treatment facility. And instead, what I got was a like a Hitchcockian suspense thriller that it was about bureaucracy and about corporate America and drug testing and a million other things that that right from the gate, like right from the opening, shocked me with the degree of like 
filmmaking talent that was being put on display. There was such a sense of artifice the second you go into that into this 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 the center, the the homecoming center. There's such a sense of like everything here has been placed very perfectly and not for the viewer at home but for the attendees of this place and so immediately questions start to open up and it ends up being like one of my favorite types of things which is uh, it's a show about uh, a mid-level bureaucrat uh, investigating a mystery that he has no business investigating it's a show about a compromised uh, uh, mental health professional being being uh, kind of Dealing with the fact that she is working on a project that she knows in her heart is not is not great, and it and it's about a soldier who is caught between his desire to return to civilian life and his trauma. Um, and there are ways to do that all of those really poorly. And I think by and large the show had did it did it justice to the degree that I watched it all yesterday. I stayed up <laughs> until five a.m. four a.m. I'm, I'm so proud of you. I'm I so I'm so happy to hear that. Uh, yeah, so for those of you who haven't followed this, I don't think Amazon did an effective job of promoting this. The Mm-mm. trailers are all incomprehensible. They don't really sell you. Like, it looks like a Julia Roberts vanity project yep. in some ways. And, like, Julia Roberts is a great actress who defined her generation. But at the same time, like, at this point, it seems like, oh, yeah, it's another star getting their streaming network deal. And doesn't seem interesting beyond that. But it started getting really good reviews. And what's notable is it's from uh, Sam Esmail, who is behind USA Network's Mr. Robot. Uh, which actually, I think, Homecoming feels very much like a thematic and intellectual companion piece mm-hmm. to Mr. Robot. Like, a, like Esmail is, to a degree, either re- revising his thesis on uh, sort of the postmodern condition or is offering a different take on it. Uh, now, this isn't wholly his. Uh, Homecoming originally was a podcast, which I mentioned because I did not know that when I started watching it. But after a couple episodes, I sort of I commented to my partner that the entire thing felt a little bit like the Limetown podcast. Mm. Uh, it had this element of, I don't know, found, like not quite found footage, but one of, one of those... It feel the structure of the show feels forensic in a way that I associate with uh, podcast narratives. Right, it is about reassembling from the vantage point of the present something that happened in the past, talking to the key people, hearing about who they were at the time of the critical events, but also sort of trying to reconcile that with the people we meet now, removed uh, removed by time and context. Uh, and in the process of becoming different people. And I think that's one of the things that is is running through Homecoming. Apparently the podcast on Gimlet, uh, you know, bears a lot of similarities. It, this basically follows the arc. I didn't listen to that. Uh, Did but, you see what the fucking cast is on that? Uh, yeah, uh, Schwimmer, uh, Jason Isaac. Oscar Isaac, Oscar Isaac. Uh, sorry, Jason Isaac. Uh, yeah, different, Oscar yeah. Isaac. Uh, and Catherine Keener, which is an interesting swing on who those those voices are i think um patrick did you get a chance to dig into this at all have you have you yeah i watched the the first couple episodes and uh did not realize off the bat that it was uh episodes were 30 minutes and boy i uh and this comes not from someone not from the place of a parent with limited time more just that i have loathed the netflixing uh well this started it started with amc this started with amc and mad men specifically in which there has been this trend to give prestige TV 
uh, in this, you know, quote, golden age of TV, like, longer is better. And that is just not the case. It, it is nice to give creatives bigger canvases to work with if their story t- storytelling demands it. And there are certain episodes, right, where, like, mm-hmm. more time to breathe. Like, you know, the briefcase, briefcase episode of Mad Men is, like, that should have more time to breathe. Like, that Agreed. Is just fine. Yes. Um, but not every episode does. And Netflix has taken this to such a degree that it has become – it's not just indulgent. It is strangling the storytelling in which – like, if things were shorter, sharper, the work would be better. And so it's interesting that it's 30 minutes from the perspective of that's probably in some part due to what they're <clears throat> adapting, right, and what the amount of uh, 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 material they have to work with. But it also just creates, I think, like much sharper storytelling. It creates – there is because we've gotten so used to 45, 60-minute, 75-minute episodes, there is an actual tension in mm-hmm. how will something – what what resolution will I get in the thirty minutes? That it, that just as a uh, consumer of of media in in it being thirty minutes and it's not a comedy where there is like a such a specific arc of what has to be accomplished in thirty minutes. It is clear in the first uh, like uh, immediate beat. Um, it just makes the actual watching of this more interesting because all right, there are, this is a thirty minute slice, um, a thirty minute window, and I found that to be both refreshing and also I think greatly benefited like to be as a thriller. It's like, well, what's going to happen in these 30 minutes and just separately the way it does the past present stuff with the weird ass format. (laughs) It's so weird, but in a way that I just, I just loved it. (laughs) I don't set that up a little bit. So the show, I mean, I guess I should, I should, we should say what the show like is in a sense, right? It is, it is something like, um, uh, uh, why am I blanking on the HBO show that's about to come back? A true detective, true detective in that, in that yeah. it's a mystery show that takes place over two different timelines, multiple timelines. Uh, one is in 2018 and one is in the future of 2022. Uh, in 2018, we follow Julia Roberts' character uh, who is um, – Heidi. 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 What's her last name? I, I just watched the show. I forget – I can't believe I forget her last name. Anyway, Heidi who is working for this homecoming facility who is ministering uh, tests and, and – kind of performing therapeutic work, uh, interviewing subjects, of the, the chief of which is uh, Walter Cruz, who's played really well by uh, uh, Stefan James. Fantastic performance. Really great performances all around. Um, and who is g- growing closer to him over the course of the show and also growing increasingly skeptical of the homecoming program. Um, and then – in 2022, which is shot in four by three, like a fucking nope. like is it it's three by one, one. Than four by three? Is it one one? It's one. I one. read it's, four it, three. It, no, so it's, no, no, it's so, shot Instagram. It's basically okay. Yeah, so I, yeah, no, it's it looks too fucking weird. Four four three. Uh, there's a piece I linked uh, that IndieWire ran. Okay, uh, it is a one one aspect ratio, and this was like built in from the start, and it was like uh, Sam Esmail's like breakthrough inside on how to shoot this story which is a weird decision and one i thought was kind of ridiculous at first but i ended up me kind too of digging i hated yeah. it at first i like i hated it in the first episode yeah and then came to this is just so wild i love it i don't know if creatively it's accomplishing anything but it is so strange that it i just sets up decided a, to go with it it so, sets up some good moments yeah like i they deliver on it in a narrative sense and a thematic sense but I think okay. that, but I do think that even, or I, they deliver on it narratively. There's a moment at which you go like, okay, I see why they're doing this. But I also think, just thematically speaking, the thing that it brought to mind for me was 
obviously David Simon saying that he didn't want The Wire to air in HD when he was first shooting it because that's not what real life looks like. Real life looked like old television sets. It looked like standard definition, not like HD. And and that's what he wanted the vibe of The Wire to look like. And for audiences in 2018, 2019 now, like – Real life looks like looking at a video on your phone, right? It looks like being on social media. It looks like being on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and seeing that stuff. And 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 there's a degree to which none of that's shot like found footage. I want to be clear. Like, none of it is like... It's not It's not sh- like someone running around with a n- shaky cam. No, but there is a sense of it feeling like the boxed-in, like, limited perspective of the present. Whereas the past is this wide open thing where you get all of that extra context. And that is sold so well throughout the show, Um, especially because a lot of the sets are so different, right? Like in Homecoming, in the 2018 stuff, it is – uh, this this ther- this therapy center, right? So there's like big open uh, kind of kitchen area, not kitchen, but um, uh, like dining area, <clears throat> the big offices of, of Heidi's uh, where she does the therapy, all of these these larger, wider areas. And then in 20- – It's a lot more colorful and yes, clean. totally. And, and, and the stuff in the present is like dirty and like really brightly shot. Yes. Um, in a and way cramped. that – Yes, like that shitty diner that she works in. Her house. The shitty with diner. Her mom. There's the bureaucracy of the of, of, of the yes. uh, Department of Justice that he's working in. Um, it's like reflective of uh, the you know the is he not is he a detective? I don't know what his actual. He's like, not. He's an like that's, he's an inspector. an inspector. He's like not. He's like of a, the office of a, of the uh, inspector general. Inspector general, right? So like he's, he's basically like an ombudsman. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a low-level bureaucrat that responds to anonymous tips to see if they're valid or not. And pro- it, you get the implication that, like, most of the time he's just, like, making a couple calls and going pass, pass. and then yep. moving on through the pile. And that he's not actually someone that does any meaningful detective work. And he sells – what's That's the so actor's – Shea Wiggum. Uh, yeah. He, he, he sells – the, the the fumbling but well-meaning uh, person who has never actually had that much responsibility in his life, but appears to have stumbled upon something. Like in the second, I think it's the second episode when he has to sell to his uh, higher up yep. whether they should elevate this or not, and he and he's asked, you know, well, what is your like, what what's the evidence for this? What what. what? There's like a whole thirty yep. seconds where he comes to the has to then admit that he only has. Uh, sort of a feeling, um, and the and the his boss just basically shuts it the fuck down, and it's just a it's a beautiful moment as you realize someone having an inkling, and and the way that the way it's sold is just so brilliantly sold of someone that doesn't quite know what they're onto, but knows that maybe there's something they should scratch at. So I think the the things that I really like in the series, uh, Shea Wiggum, his performance and the way he's written <clears throat> is a really good portrayal of. The heroism of public service, in some ways, of just service. Uh, it's unglamorous. His office is shitty. He doesn't have any of the uh, sort of slick corporate accoutrement that define the, the past and homecoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just a guy in rumple, cheap business clothes, uh, you know, trying to check the boxes. And he doesn't have a badge. <clears throat> he has a business card. Yep. Right. And... The th- there are a couple key beats with this character early on. There's that moment where, yeah, what do you actually know? And it's a it's a funny moment because we've already seen enough to know that there's something you can't articulate from the first what feels so wrong about Homecoming, but this this feeling of persistent wrongness and things being screwed up in ways you can't quite define 
is really palpable in the series, and, and Wiggum sort of is communicating that, but it's also nothing you can actually point to. You don't have any evidence for it. How do you say something gives off a weird vibe? Um, and in that episode, his boss tells him, just look, your job is to check the box. Just file the report. Say you looked into it, and there's nothing there, and we close got a the quota. File. Yeah, yeah, that's... That and everyone has worked that job. You know, everyone has had that just look, just process this and move the fuck on. And there's this great moment where he's sitting at his computer with one of those shitty ancient interfaces that you find <laughs> on like uh university or government uh you know IT services uh still to this day. And he's sitting there and he's he's filling out his report and he comes to the signature line. And it just it's the standard boilerplate. You know, I, Thomas Carrasco, you know, do a vow that I did. You know, it's put your name to this. Say you actually looked into it. And he labors over that thing and he just stares at it. Yeah. And he can't do it. It's it's a it's a cheap, meaningless form, but it means something to him. And I think there's a great arc that this character has where by the end he's almost a he's a he's a bureaucratic Bilbo Baggins in some ways. He just <laughs> like he just gets plucky about the damn yeah. thing and doesn't Go away. I mean, he he enunciates what I think is the thesis or his character's thesis on justice. The cog. The cog, right? He gives a speech towards the – it's not the – it's like episode six or seven or something like that where he basically says like, I get it. You look at me and you see a cog in, in a machine and I am. I am just a cog. But, you know, even though all I do is elevate things or dismiss things, that's a decision that's made in the machine and that decision turns – other cogs and then those cogs turn other cogs and that's what justice is and there is something i mean the show is simultaneously like playing off of that character literally by the end is the the show's like i guess de facto antagonist in colin belfast played played by uh, bobby cannavale 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 uh who is this just fucking scene chewing big business motherfucker who i he brings like uh, Dan Aykroyd on Coke energy to every the, the scene fucking Dan Aykroyd toy in. maker uh, yes. character. The, yes. it's, it's a bag. It's a bag. But you put it over your kids. <laughs> you Johnny Spaceman. Yeah. Exactly yeah, no, that he's energy. That guy. Um, who is who plays uh, Heidi's boss, uh, Julie Roberts' boss, who is like from the parent company and who is looking for every bit of. He's like, the most ambitious person on, on the show. He wants to get ahead. He wants to climb the ranks. He wants to climb into the high, the, the, the highest ranks. He wants power for power's sake. Totally. At, at any cost. Would, and, and the fact that he comes across as like a scene chewing B movie villain. Uh, yeah, plastered against all these other people that mm-hmm. come across as like relatively normal is like a huge part of why the character works. Yes. And again, I've only seen the early episodes, but like the the way they're situating him as a cartoon um, relative to everyone else is like a really like a smart uh, acting choice. Well, and I think that the, the core tension of the show is that like on one hand, I think that Carrasco is right that the gears cogs turn cogs and slowly justice happens. Um, on the other hand, cogs turn cogs and the stuff that happens at homecoming also happens, right? Like the it is never one person who decided to do a bad thing. It is an entire system, an entire structure, an entire organization that is tied into the Department of Defense, that is tied into American war policy, that all of which contribute to the central crime, which I'm not going to talk about here, of this show. Um, and for me, like that gets at what, what that's the, that was the engine for me watching the show. On top of, I think, strong performances 
Again, I cannot say enough about Walter, Stefan James's Walter Cruz as a, a a traumatized soldier who is trying to work through, who who at first is trying to work through the pain of having been in war and acclimate himself back to being at home and and kind of monitor and coach and um you know help his 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 kind of uh, comrades who've also come back until there's something else happening there, uh, both with Heidi and also with himself and his family. Um, it, it goes weird places. So the, <clears throat> I'm glad you talked about the, uh, the Colin Belfast character, because one of the interesting things about this show, you're talking about, you know, cogs, cogs moving other cogs. Uh, people in these systems make small choices. They add up to greater crimes. What I think is interesting is that so if you look at Esmail's uh, previous show, which is wrapping up, I think, this year, uh, Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot, like, I think in the second episode, maybe even the first, uh, its main character, Elliot Alderson, sort of articulates this vision that he knows somewhere in the world there is a conference room full of powerful men at the head of the largest corporations making decisions that will affect the fate of the world and affect the lives of billions of people. And you get that image of, and the show is obsessed with this image of what is happening in the corridors of power. Like somewhere there is an architect behind all this. Somewhere in the middle of all this chaos, there are people pulling the strings for their own nefarious ends. And the arc of Mr. Robot is trying to follow those threads all the way back to their sources. Homecoming, at least so far, is in some ways more troubling because to a degree, yes, it is a corporate horror show. Uh, it is, but at no point do you ever get a strong sense that there is, in fact, there's a vague suggestion that there are people high up, but there's also this weird diffuse sense that the corporation is just kind of this immortal being. It just, right. it just is. And even Colin Belfast, who's this like mover and shaker, gives off this sort of greasy desperation He's ambitious, he's arrogant, he does have some power, but also he seems like a guy who's also gotten a little bit, maybe quite a bit more than a little bit, screwed up just by being in that environment. There's the scene early on in the series where he is basically like gate crashing a country club uh-huh. to go and like burst through he, Patrick he it's burst amazing. through a fucking oh, I, well, I've tree seen, I've seen it's in the second episode I've seen yeah. that bit he burst through a tree line with a with a, with, a, with golf clubs to go like buttonhole a potential and, and, plan and, and, and like crucially he is uh having a conversation with Julia Roberts in which you uh, part of the genius of, of these uh sort of conversation scenes she's having with him early in the show is that like it's it's always implied like he's off being a mover and a shaker and doing these big important things. And he's what it's revealed, is, you know, through like the cinematography is that he's actually doing like a lot of this like grunt work and just like, I don't know, throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. And that what's brilliant about that little bit in particular is that, you know, you know, he's constantly like he's coming down on, on her saying, well, why aren't you doing this? Well, I think that scene is maybe about like a. Uh, why aren't they doing background checks on like the, the, the cooks, cooks or, yeah. or, so, yeah, yeah, or something yeah. like that? And and it's implied like, well, I'm off doing this really important shit. And you can, you, it's not quite sold what he's doing. Like he's just kind of like moving around, and you see, he's like he's in fancy clothes. And 
the first implication is like, oh, of course he's off playing golf with fancy execs or military people or someone. And then at the, of course, the punchline is that yes, he just bursts through and crashes on to some people on the green. It's like, hey, hey, are you this person? And then goes into his soul, his whole like greasy salesperson spiel, um, even though he probably jumped the <coughs> fucking fence yeah. to well, get to this place in the first place. I think what makes this. Uh, particularly effective as the show unfolds is what people end up having to wrestle with is the fact that in some ways they were in a system, but also they didn't do what Carrasco does early on, which is take responsibility for their part in the system. Like there's the question of like, who ordered this? Like when you, as you discover what is going on at homecoming, what the, what the actual crime is, you can ask yourself, well, who is responsible for this? And there is at least as far as the story seems to, seems to tell us, no one person, no single command, no single directive that you can say caused all this. It's a bunch of people who had this vague sense that they were accountable to other people and that they had to do this. But the details were left largely up to them and they fucking ran with it. Yeah. Uh, and I think Julia Roberts has this great dynamic with Stephen James because she is trying... She's not a good therapist. But no. she is. She's on her first gig. And her, like her first gig, she ends up getting this... Wicked crush. Believe me, I understand crushing on uh, Stephen James' James, Walter yeah. Cruz. Uh, but I just want to go on a they, road trip. You know what I'm saying? I just really want to <laughs> put down the windows. That's, that's the California. other thing. It is such a joy in this series, particularly in this era, to have a show built around so many scenes of two actors just acting together in a scene. Yeah. Um, so like showing off their craft uh, is a delight. But what's really sort of sympathetic and, and heartbreaking, but can't really stop us from also judging uh Heidi is that she's desperate to make this job work. She is this is her big chance. This is she is somebody put in a position that maybe she's not even fully qualified to be in, but this is her big chance. She's got to take that shot and she her desperation to make that work causes her to look past so many fucking warning signs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, who, and honestly, like, that's like a very relatable feeling for a lot of people. Like, who hasn't been in a job where, whew, uh, <laughs> okay, well, here I fucking am. Um, I'm going to try and make this work. I am going to look past certain things because I feel either it's for personal ambition or, like, future career goals or just, like, for the greater good, I'll, I'll do the good that I can within the position I'm in. Like, that is a... A plenty. I think that is a, that's a feeling I've had. I think that's a feeling maybe all of us have had, um, where you're just in a spot and it's like, okay, well, too late. I'm here now. Like, what do I do now that I'm here? And how do I juggle all these hot plates? Even though I know some of the part things are here are wrong, but well, I'm still here. Yeah. I, so I think you know one of the things though from that that I wish it contended with a little bit more. I, on one hand, a thing that I think is great is there there are a couple of characters who seem to have the insight that that is how the world works, one of which is Walter Cruz's, Stefan James's character's mother, uh, who just immediately sees through literally everything. When, once she's introduced, like, she, from the jump, is like, all of this is fishy. I Pieces together a global conspiracy seemingly overnight uh, is just this, like, incredibly smart, I believe, Haitian woman who uh, who is just, like, does the is the like strong mom who is going to go help her fucking son? Uh, Marianne and- Jean Baptiste is the actress. Uh, yes. she's, she's great. She did a great role in Broadchurch as well. Uh, so if you watch Broadchurch, you you'll recognize her as the uh, kick-ass defense attorney from the second season. 
But yeah, so, she what a great performance. Incredible performance. Um in, incredible like energy that just transforms every scene she is in because they've set up they've set up the locations of this show as even the even the most chaotic ones as being stable in their chaos. I know the type of chaos that happens here. And when she enters into them, everything feels like the rules have been broken. It feels like a third boxer got in the ring. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh, uh, what do we do? There's a third boxer here. She has fucking gloves on. She wants to fight. Okay, I guess <laughs> she can fight. What are you going to do? Um, and, and that stuff is really strong. Uh, similarly, Sissy Spacek, who plays uh, uh, Julia Roberts' character's mother, uh, is incredibly strong at quickly... And kind of being like the ditzy wine grandma slash like like stoner mom, but also, but also smart, also smarter than her personality. A hundred percent sees right. She puts in, she, separately. She puts in a in a bad show, Castle Rock. Uh, she puts in a really terrific performance in that in that show. As well. And so yeah, and here she does the same thing. Where like can quickly see through, not you know doesn't necessarily know all the big picture stuff, but can see through her own daughter's gates and her own daughter's. Um, uh, disinterest in understanding what has happened in her own past. <laughs> the, the, the quiet way she calls out her bullshit in the first scene they have together about like why she came home is just like so much. I don't even remember. She's also I... not. She's also unwilling. She's a, she's giving her daughter a lot of rope to figure out right like, what's like. She's not gonna just completely bring the hammer down, but enough where it's like like come on, like what's really going yeah. on here? Well, that's all. There are so many. The way it begins to unveil what is happening is also really, really, really subtle. I'm not going to go into it, uh, but every all the little clues are very organic and they feel very natural and explainable in other ways. And it's really like not until a few episodes where you really start to develop a suspicion about like what is happening and what it, what is going wrong. And it's a lot of stuff that. You could put down, you know, if you didn't know there was something sinister going on, you could put down to a million other mm-hmm. explanations. Uh, and Sissy Spacek uh, and her the 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 tense, loving but combative. Uh, the show sort of hinges on on two parental relationships in a lot of ways, right? It's uh, sort of Walter Cruz's and uh, Heidi and Bergman, Ber- Heidi Bergman's, yeah, arcs are both kind of defined by these attempts to break away from parents who are a little bit domineering, a little bit, uh, who are so take no shit that it can almost feel, you know, we've all had relationships with like, I've had relationships like that with my mother, right? Right. Where uh, it can be, they can see through so much shit and they can see through so much of your shit that, you kind of want to run from it and it kind of be you, sometimes you well, just want them to take you at face value and leave you alone. And yet they run towards each other who yeah. also see through each other's shit. And there's a lot to unpack there. Great. Certainly the, the other side of this though, is that while, you know, I think Sissy Spacek's character uh, understands her daughter as someone who is going to be thrown under the bus on behalf of a corrupt system and government and, and corporation and uh, 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 Walter Cruz's mother understands him and soldiers in general as, you know, meat for the grinder and understands that, like, the stuff that's happening down there probably connects to some global cap- capitalism shit. What neither does and what no one in this in this, in this this entire show does is actually interrogate the, the actual war machine itself, right? 
the victims of this are soldiers who've returned home. And without getting into what happens specifically, the the crime being committed uh, is certainly something that would benefit the war machine. But we never ask what who else is hurt by the war machine in the world globally. It definitely falls into the the trap of having such tight focus on how American soldiers are harmed by international war that it never asks who else gets harmed or how corporations benefit from that also. And that is not that far away, right? They can take another one or two steps and have, have had a couple of scenes at which it becomes clear who benefits from the global war economy uh, and who else suffers and who else suffers in ways that are that are entirely made tertiary. Like they don't even get the Walter Cruz treatment. The people that Walter Cruz was killing overseas were just overseas and they're, they're never on screen. And part of me wanted the show to at least contend with that a little bit because – Seems like maybe that could have happened in the therapy – again, I've only seen two episodes, but it seems like the therapy sessions could have totally. potentially been an avenue where they at least – Hat tip, you know, it's like the tight focus is sounds like part of the reason the show works as well as it does. Yeah. At the same time, given the ther- like the therapy sessions is the sort of avenue where you could hat tip to other topics that like are born out of, um, especially given you know Sam Ismail's work, like is you know yeah. between Mr. Robot and this, like contending with these ideas and trying to untangle them and evolving his own thesis on how they work. Totally. And I'd say the the last thing for me is like I didn't expect this to be something that I could Google and see that there's a season two coming, and I kind of wish there wasn't. I mm. I wow that looked oh geez I almost wish I didn't know that I'm information. Sorry. <laughs> I, 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 okay. I to be clear I finished the show thinking it was a standalone, and so, I would have been happy with that ending. Me too. Uh, I don't know that I like the ending. I like the ending of the mystery. I'm not sure what I think about the ending 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 yet. I need to sleep on it another day because I've only gotten five hours since I last yeah. saw the thing. Um, but, but is the is the season two based on a season two yes, of the podcast or is it a podcast season? Is there a second oh, okay. podcast? Okay, <clears throat> yeah, that makes me feel slightly not again not having seen it. At least uh, I don't. know. This, that's different than what often happens with this stuff, where it's like you exhaust the original creative work and then fuck it was successful. Like time to do another <laughs> one. Um, you know, like that, like. Again, like, I don't I don't know the season two. I don't know this, at the end of this well, season. That gives me slightly more confidence than just like it was successful. Let's mine this thing right. for for more. Where yeah. things so where things get tricky is Esmail makes like near future corporate sci-fi in some ways, and that is easy to pull off toward the start of the story when like you're, it's sort of the way you are sort of tweaking and bending reality would change the world in small, largely imperceptible ways. So you could imagine something like this happening, but not really being like world altering mm-hmm. with home co- with, uh, with, with Mr. Robot, by the end of the first season, they've destroyed global capitalism. Like by the end of the first season, they have basically just taken a wrecking ball to the entire financial and capitalist infrastructure of the planet. Now later, you know, that infrastructure is more resilient than it first appears, but nevertheless, they're left with the remainder of the series, and they, they do this pretty well, but it, it still is awkward, of trying to portray a world that is irrevocably altered. At the same time, you're shooting this thing in this world, and all the intera- you know all your basis for these characters' interactions and their relationships is around jobs and life continuing much as it ever has. Homecoming, I think, points in a similar direction toward the end, where it's possible that the dark secret of the homecoming facility may be at loose in the world and maybe taking on new and nefarious forms. 
as you begin to expand that story out, though, it does get a little bit, it gets harder to contain it in this really yeah. like tight format and this, this, maintain this tight focus on characters because the world that story encompasses has now expanded a great deal. So I'm very curious. To, I, I'm hesitant to listen to the second season of the podcast because I know it would change my, I kind of don't want to. Yeah know that yet i don't want to know that take on the story uh, yet yeah 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 i'm, yeah, I'm, with you. I'm curious how they did it i'm curious and i might just not watch it we'll see i will see what the reception is to whatever the second season of the show is uh i'm glad you put it on my on my path because again i, I absolutely thought that it was it was less hitchcock and more like homeland or something do you know what i mean and yeah. it isn't it, it's not what it is it's a neo-noir like no one sells it as that but it is apps there's a sequence I, I just want to shout out one final thing but before i before i shut the fuck up there is a sequence during which the the kind of uh department of defense uh, investigator carrasco <clears throat> has to go get a box he has to go you know he pulls up the record for heidi bergman on his computer and it says uh, sorry, this isn't scanned yet. It won't be scanned till 2043. Go see box 472 uh, from from the year 2018 or whatever. And so he takes the, the thing, 472, and he goes into this amazing, vast, you know, Raiders is a lot Lost Ark style warehouse uh, filled with boxes. And it's set up so that only one vertical, one light can turn on in the room at a time it's motion sensor and so he's walking through this dark empty vast room filled with cardboard boxes filled with evidence and files and one after another you get like that hard breaker sound hitting of like bakunk 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 as he goes down the aisles looking for his box and he finally finds 472 and there's a stack of 40 fucking boxes up to the ceiling and and he sits there he just sits there and he starts going through them and the light turns on and off because he's reading and he isn't moving enough and it's just this perfect shot of just looking down at him in that space with the one light on, the, the the show ends on shots like this a lot. It, it kind of meanders away. It just holds a still shot as action might happen, but nothing important is happening in the background. And that was the moment I was like, oh, okay, I need to stop thinking about this like a TV show and think about it in, in the, the realm of classic Hollywood noir because that is where it ends up, ends up fitting. And, and when it's at its best, that's where it's firing because it is about it is about characters caught in, in larger machinations, sometimes even more than the machinations themselves. Yeah, so that is Homecoming, which you can uh, watch on Amazon right now. I think it's, what is it? Is it 10 episodes? 10, 10 half hour episodes? 10, 10 half-ish hour episodes. Yeah. You, I'm just going to say, uh, I, would, I think you could probably do it in a night. You know, theoretically, I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't. I might, yeah, I, I wouldn't let it say that. Everyone, I wouldn't say to do that, but you could. Don't that's, do that. That's that's very uh, geist of you, Austin. I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm just telling you what are your I'm priorities. I'm just telling you, right? Exactly. Are you are you in on this or are you not? Uh, all right, we're gonna take a little break here, and then we'll be back with uh, our second waypoint for this week. Nailed it. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. 
For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And we're back. Uh, So the other thing that we've been into this week uh, that that Austin sort of suggested we watch and I did not anticipate would grab hold of me as hard (laughs) as it has uh, is Nailed It, which is a cooking show. It's it's a Netflix original, right? Yeah, it's a Netflix original um, that stars... Which they say it's like inspired by... YouTube, I think, is like the part of the pitch they give at the top. Yeah, that makes sense. Like in the same way that Channel Zero or that uh, whatever Channel Zero is is inspired Dream Door, by. Yeah. Yeah, by, by I just Andrew I just Costa. wonder I don't know for sure if like the oh, yeah. mythology of the show is that like nailed it is a phrase that like came um, from you know, I, of people doing. So, I mean, I, well, nailed it is a, did become a catchphrase yes, when you no, fucked I, up. I know, <coughs> I know. I'm just I was wondering if it was like a meme that I wasn't oh. aware of that was about people recreating things badly or to the best it, of their ability. It YouTube. sounds so much like DIY YouTube to me. Having watched yeah. you know people who try to recreate Pinterest. Uh, you know, cakes or Pinterest crafts or whatever, and then they gotta go. Is this a real thing? Let's let's try this bullshit galaxy slime recipe and see if it makes cool galaxy slime. And then it doesn't. If you don't know what galaxy slime is, have fun on YouTube tonight. Um, nailed it is so pure. I'm so it's, glad y'all watched it and enjoyed it. Or I guess you enjoyed. So it. to give you the rundown, um, nailed it. Okay, where 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 to, where to begin? Okay, so nailed it uh, is. A dessert making contest with the twist that the three contestants are amateur at best, uh, not even particularly talented like home home cooks. Uh, They're just three amateurs who may or may not have any passing familiarity with kitchen with kitchen implements, Um, and they are competing to make professional grade pastries desserts baked goods like and i'm not talking like uh stuff you'd find in the window display of like your corner bakery i mean stuff that would be like you know at a celebrity's wedding for instance right right? or at uh one you know a a new a a new like elite pop-up that opens in midtown somewhere for 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 one day only yeah and it has a lot of like creative aesthetic parts to what you have to it's not just oh hey make a cake it's a complicated recipe to do the cake it's like oh it's a shark cake is just part one and that yeah and then you have to do a really complicated like a set of lips or a a a, a princess you know in a castle with a dragon and a knight trying to climb up that castle (laughs) this is like i have uh oh it's so good I, i do a fair bit of baking at home the mildest like cake decoration scares the shit out of me like only this year did i get like a pastry bag uh, because this stuff is fucking hard. Like it is, it is hard enough to like properly frost a cake and then do any sort of decoration on it. But the kind of like dessert sculpture that they are being asked to do, which requires like knowing the structural properties of different creams, cakes, uh, candies. You need to know like the load bearing properties of your fucking sponge cake before you try to build this thing and whether or not it needs beams. <laughs> uh, and all these people have are loose instructions on a tablet and are told 
you have got four like you have four hours to remake this uh, like professional grade like three tier wedding cake. Go. And the the two things that happen one is it is amazing how quickly those people disregard the instructions. Just don't read them at all sometimes, or just just miss like very like there's in the second episode when they're uh, baking a three tiered cake and one of the guys is making the batter and then the chef on the show goes. He didn't put the eggs. In. <laughs> he didn't put in the eggs. <laughs> and then the kicker is at the end when, uh, like, the cake was supposed to represent a castle. Oh. And he says, well, your cake tastes like a castle. Um, <laughs> did you did you make a, any so They're, they're so kind. That's the other the thing. So and we, we can get yes. to that. It's like, because um, that's like a whole thing about this. Is like he asks, um, did you, in, in, the, in the most genuine, polite way possible, was it a creative decision to not put the eggs in, right? Like, maybe he had a technique yeah. or whatever. And it was like, and you, him sweating profusely, both under the stress, the lights, and the knowing that he had fucked up so badly was, no, no, I forgot the <laughs> eggs. <laughs> there, is a, there is one coming up for both of you in which someone uses salt instead of sugar. And <laughs> the tasting... No, that, that happens to everyone. It happens. It wait, happens. They didn't, wait, they didn't catch themselves? No, dog. They serve it? They serve it. They eat <laughs> it. Oh no! They eat it, and then they're really nice about it because that's what this show is. Because the show is about in the first episode. Isn't there a bit where they, um, one of the judges puts the food in her mouth and, and she's just, oh no, <laughs> yeah. mm. oh no, so, oh no, oh no, oh no. So that's the thing is like it somehow walks this line between there is a lot of Schadenfreude here, right? Like it's a lot of people being put in. Nowhere near enough time. Like, I don't think the pro chefs on this show, the pro bakers, could actually execute super efficiently with the time limits at stake here, right? Like, there are times where you're like, all right, 60 minutes to make this cookie of yourself. Go. And like, shit, I don't know how to do a cookie portrait of myself. Like, good luck for anybody. Um the time is part of yes. what like destroys yes. these. Yes, the things. time and the and the the lack of familiarity with the particular kitchen. <clears throat> there are definitely times when people don't know what the two different ovens do. No one knows how to use a blast freezer. <laughs> no one. Um, all sorts of stuff like that. But but then and so part of it is like I can't believe this goofy terrible shit they made. I can't believe what corners they cut. Or I I love what corners they cut. I love how they tried to get to the soul of the thing by tossing some like gummy worms down instead of doing elaborate you know decoration with with fond or whatever. But then the other half of it is at no point does it feel mean-spirited. It feels like there's some teasing involved, but that teasing never goes all the way to cruelty. And it starts and ends at it's good to bake. It's good to make stuff. It's fun to make stuff. Let's make stuff. It's fun to it's fail. It's fun to fail. It's fun. It's okay to fail. It's okay and in fact good to just try some bullshit. And if you fail, you fail. And if you succeed, even success doesn't look like capital S success on this show. Everything is always compromised, but in a way that feels celebratory and not chiding. Well, I think something that helps here is that all these, like, in the world of, like, baking and cooking, like, patissiers, pastry chefs, have reputation for being kind of a, like a breed unto themselves because it is the most exacting. Like baking is already science. Uh, Pastry making is science and art. Like you, like you need to be so exact, so precise and so experienced with a lot of this stuff. And at no point 
the judges know exactly how difficult all this stuff is. And I think they have a great deal of sympathy for watching these people plunge into the deepest end of the deepest pool in baking and try to give it their best. And one of the chef asks at one point during one of the fuck ups is like, what did you learn from this? Like, yeah. what was your takeaway? And he, he means yeah. that genuinely. And like the person gives like a really like thoughtful response. It's like, that's, that's that. I think that's that, that tension there you're talking about where there's a deep respect for watching people take on something that they do not <laughs> like are not going to pull off, but going, like going for it in and of itself is like uh, is something to be respected. It reminds me of like Master Chef Junior, which is like my favorite cooking reality show, I suppose, because like as opposed to all the other Master Chefs, where it's all like a spot, like all professional cooks, basically. Yeah, screw um, that. <laughs> the thing about Master Chef Junior is that it's kids trying to do this stuff, and some are really precocious, some get completely overwhelmed. But like the chefs in in that show tend to be really enthusiastic. Like no matter how things go. You're dealing with, like, in their case, they're dealing with kids. But also, it's so cool that you tried. It's so cool the ways you failed, uh, the, the ways you tried to recover from those failures. And there's a lot of that in Nailed It. There is something deeply endearing about the decisions people make in those final 15 minutes before they need to present their, pr- present their creation. When they're just like, fuck it. How do I get from this, like, stack of misshapen cakes to... Uh, a shark leaping out of the water. How do yeah. how do I accomplish that? And at that point, they just begin trying to hack together last minute solutions. And the results are often hilarious. Sometimes they're novel, and sometimes a contestant pulls off something that like it does. It's it's not good, but it's creative. Yeah. And the, the judges are kind of, tend to be kind of tickled when uh, something off script comes out that kind of works. I. It um go ahead Patrick oh go ahead I was saying this uh watching the show reminds me so much so when uh my wife has uh, always been like a really tremendous and inventive cook just like one of her natural skills and uh when we moved to L A when I was working for G four um she had to leave her job in San Francisco and we went down for this job uh for me and we while she was figuring out her next step um. We didn't have nearly as much money. We largely just had my income, which wasn't much. I was writing. <laughs> I was and continue to write video yep. games. It wasn't a whole lot. We we made do. So we started eating in more often. And so my wife was cooking a lot more, researching a lot more about cooking. And so I was eating a lot more of her cooking. And in the past where I was just occasionally eating her cooking, I could kind of skate by on not having to give any real criticisms. Now, I was lucky. Her cooking is good. I really didn't have anything to say, nor did I have any language to provide meaningful feedback anyway. But then when I was eating it a lot, I was running out of sort of like platitudes to give. And when she'd be like, could it use more salt? I'm like, I don't fucking know. Like, I don't know what salt does to food. So (laughs) I would just say like, you know, I I would just kindly say I defer to you on that stuff. Like, I really just don't. I don't know. It tastes good to me. And like... It 99% of the time did. And then there's the one time, the famous one time when my wife went very ambitious and in a nailed it sort of way. Like, <laughs> so she tried to make, uh, it was a gazpacho cold soup. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a seafood soup. Um, she went for it. She, she tried and we sat down to eat it. And it was the one time, the one, this literally has only happened one time. I took a sip of it. I put it down, and I said, "I was like, I deeply respect that you tried to do this. I, ca- I, I cannot eat this food. 
I can't. And then he poured it I down can't. the drain, <laughs> just like all that coffee. Just like the coffee. Oh, God. <laughs> and it was funny because she, she, her response was not to be mad or sad. It was she was actually like, "You've probably disliked other things in the past, and you haven't said anything." And it's not true, but I had not come up with like better ways to be like more constructive in my criticism because she was both looking for more right. meaningful feedback yep. and I both did not want to offend her and also uh, didn't have the language. And so what's interesting is that roles reversed. When we had uh, Jessica, I and as someone that works from home, that I just end up spending more time with my kid, I wanted to take on more of the, the cooking role so she could have more time uh, with our daughter, especially when she was going to sleep earlier uh, at night and so we started getting more of these plated meals and like again going back to well this will run before our friday podcast yeah related to the open world discussion i don't have a creative bone in my body for cooking but i can sure as hell follow some instructions and so for the last two years i make three four five meals a week depending on the week and it's been a joy I, i i love cooking i still can't look at a cupboard and just figure it out but i will gladly follow some recipes and i now know what salt and pepper congratulations do patrick um, you know what salt does to food um but i but i make all sorts of like wild meals and now when my my wife and i talk about food i now have both a language yeah. for it and then also related specifically to this show when i am following those instructions at the end is always the draw like the picture of like well this is what this shit's supposed to yeah. look like and like it constantly amazes me. We're like, this shit tastes good as hell. This does not look like whatever that goddamn picture. So I'm like trying to <laughs> put the rice in the. I was like, ah, fuck it. It just looks like it a all looks of the stuff, same down there. Don't you know? worry. The flavors yeah. taste fine. So I will say, like related to the show, uh, before Christmas, uh, my partner gave me my Christmas gift early uh, because I was starting to bake more with the weather being cold. She gave me a uh, really nice stand mixer. Nice. And so I've just been uh, like just baking up a storm. I'm still trying to come to grips with breads in the stand mixer because it is very different than mixing them by hand. Yeah. Uh, I like my like I'm producing good bread, but it's inconsistent as all hell. Like, do you like a bread not... starter? What type of bread are you making? Let's let's talk bread. What are you doing? <clears throat> making country bread off a uh, Polish okay. starter. Okay. Uh, so, it, but it, the results are basically at random. Is how it feels like. <laughs> Because you're like over mixing, the mixing is the big variable. Uh, because things are not coming together the way I'm used to them coming together if you mix by hand. In the right. in the stand mixer, things are taking on a weird quality during the mixing. And I've tried using the autolyze process, uh, where you rest things after mixing them a bit, and that allows the ingredients to mix a little bit and react to each other a little bit more. And then theoretically, they will uh, they, they will get kneaded together more effectively mm-hmm. uh, after that. Sometimes that works really well. Sometimes, for love or money, I cannot get my bread dough to get that like nice satiny, uh, you know, slightly dry uh, fe- feeling at the end of it. Uh, it just remains a very like soggy, uh, uh, almost brioche-ish mess. Yeah. Um, which there's some, and there's some doughs that are just yeah, nightmares actually, to work with because like sure. if you ever made a brioche, uh, if you can handle it without it trying to like crawl up your arm and like like you know just live under your fingernails, like the fucking thing, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, then you're not making a brioche, uh, basically, but. Anyway, so for the past couple weeks over over vacation, I just started. We stopped. We stopped ordering food. I started baking probably every day, uh, and cooking every day. And like toward the end of vacation, I had that breakthrough where I was like able to look at ingredients in the house, 
and whip things together like basic like without a recipe. Right. I was like, oh, I know like, I know how to make that. In a I can meal. do something with this. Yeah. yeah. And it was like it was good. <laughs> and I felt like, you know, I, I felt like I'd, I'd, I nailed it. And that is a really satisfying process to get to. But along the way, there is a particularly with baking. There is a lot of maddening failure. And I'm at a point where, like, I'm going to need to start taking notes on what I'm doing yeah. during my bread making because I need to actually start, like, knowing what my steps were so I know what produced what results. A different approach to, than that was taken by my favorite Nailed It contestant. Oh uh, I'm not sure this guy will ever be surpassed. <clears throat> Sal, uh-huh. a former uh, Boston cop, Massachusetts, Massachusetts uh, cop. cop. Yeah. Uh, as he put it, being a cop is about following the rules, which, you know, if you live by that style, God bless you. Uh, yeah. But uh, being a cop is about following the rules. But in the kitchen, I like to do things my own way. Uh, so he's like the dirty Harry of the kitchen, I suppose. And his approach to baking was the most like ridiculous thing I've ever seen in a cooking show. Uh, he's just this big bluff, like Boston cop looking dude. He never turns on his tablet with the recipe. Not they tell him once. to make a cake. He just doesn't and turn it on. He doesn't, he doesn't look measure at the anything. He just he's like just grabbing ingredients and whipping them into a bowl. There's by, a point like, at which he microwaves Kit Kat bars to get chocolate. <laughs> to get chocolate to put on. Does it work? No, he burns the shit out of them. He's like, oh, they got wafers in them. The wafers burn. Yeah, I want to be clear. No, 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 I want to be clear. He doesn't, sorry. It's not that he says, I know what I can do. I can microwave some Kit Kat bars. He puts Kit Kat bars into a bowl thinking that they're just bars of chocolate and then microwaves them, which means he opens the microwave. Is this chocolate? (laughs) <laughs> this is chocolate this is good this is and it's just it's wafers uh, with melted chocolate all over the place oh and that's my the God. second that is the second microwave and chocolate related disaster that dude has in the space in the space of a few minutes right just prior to that he had cre- he had started a microwave fire uh trying to melt uh what he thinks is chocolate it's actually candy melt right uh and he nukes the stuff in the microwave for like five minutes, and it basically ends up caramelizing and then just like catching fire uh, inside the microwave, and he fills the studio with smoke. Uh, he tries to measure out vanilla and just ends up pouring like a shot and a half of like vanilla extract into his cake batter. Uh, it is unreal, and it is so off the rails that I couldn't. I could have watched an entire season of that dude just trying to, like, eyeball different recipes together. When I was, uh, I think I was in, I think I was in high school. My brother was in middle school. Uh, A friend of his who later became uh, to be known as Easy Mac, he still has this nickname to this day, has not lived this one down. Uh, We had a basketball hoop out in front of, uh, in our driveway, and we lived not far from, the high school and the middle school bus would drop off right in front, so it was often that our house was like a, a gathering place before people went home for dinner. And because of that, my parents always had like snacks and other small stuff for people to munch on uh, when they got home from school. And this kid, uh, whose real name shall uh, not be named, because um, uh, his real name doesn't exist, his only name is Easy Mac, had never made Easy Mac before. Now, Easy Mac, if you've never made it before, it's just these short little, you know, uh, macaroni and cheese. It's uh, the noodles. They're dry. Uh-huh. Um, there's a, a cheese thing you put in there. 
Um, you pour water in it. You put it, you cover it, you put it in the microwave for three, four minutes, boom. You've got some really mediocre, but totally acceptable mac and cheese. Well, things get interesting if you don't put water in it and you just put ch dry cheese and dry noodles for like four to five minutes in a microwave. What it does is it, <laughs> it sets it on fire and then uh, it turns into a billowing mess and then fills your whole kitchen with oh smoke for four minutes. <laughs> and uh, my parents were not home at the time, came home to a house uh, full of smoke. Um, and uh, this man named Easy Mac because he didn't put the water in the Jesus mac and cheese. Christ. So. Before we end yeah. on Nailed It, I just, we need to shout out Nicole Byer, who is the host of the show, who also has a sort of weird Dan Aykroyd energy, now that I think about it. Uh, just like intense, high energy personality who could... Like on, I'm looking at the papers. I'm like a science. I'm like a NASA scientist looking at the papers and going like, "There's too much energy here. This is going to tip over to being annoying and, and impossible to watch." But somehow she's doing it. Like I don't. There's there has to be an X factor here, and I don't know what it is. But like she never gets annoying. She gets right up to the point. Even when even when as part of the game show, the contestants hit the button that is supposed to make her be annoying to the other contestants to disrupt their baking. She still somehow be, remains charming. Um, she is a great. Re she reminds me a lot of uh, Donna from Parks sure, and Rec. Sure, totally. Uh, there's a definitely like a, a a a certain like lives in the chaos, lives in the high energy uh, that that she can bring. But then she can also. I think this is the big thing is that like she can yell at the top of her lungs, and then in the next sequence play the the straight role of just kind of like be quiet and like point out the ridiculous stuff that's happening around her in the first episode there is a guest judge who is this <laughs> oh, yes, amazing this woman who makes cakes is a cake maker who at one point just starts stealing pots and pans from the set and nicole just like narrates it happening in such a laid back and like what is happening sort of way that is just, blah, it's so good. And she knows that she should let this other person be the wacky one in those circumstances, which is like top tier improv talent to know that even though you can bring it at that top level, at that like turn it up to 11, there are times when you got to bring it down to four. And shout outs to Nicole Byer for doing that. Also, that woman is my favorite host in the entire series. She comes back one time. I have to. She'll come back again, but only she once. is so. She is so good. Um, Jacques Torres is is also great. Yep. The, the weird uh, sexual energy that this uh, one uh, contestant feels toward him. <laughs> uh, this this southern granny. Yep. Uh, who also like is completely at sea in this contest. And another great Nicole Byer uh, moment. Uh, you have the option of like slamming this button down that causes your opponents to freeze for three minutes, and you get you, basically you get a timeout, and you get to work for three minutes, and nobody else can. Uh, so you get three extra minutes to 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 do your work. Um, she uses she burns that timeout, and then slowly starts shuffling toward the pantry across the studio, like and I mean shuffling, like it is a slow walk toward that pantry uh, and nicole byers just like i love that she she used her freeze button and is just slowly walking over that pantry like she it shows three minutes later she has just arrived at the pantry to get the thing she wants and by the way she does not appear to be like we see her moving around elsewhere she does not seem to be like particularly mobility impaired 
it's just for those three minutes, she was not going to be hurried. She gave herself a little break to just walk over that pantry and browse ingredients uh, for for three you know, it's nice her to break. Have, it's nice to just take a little break for yourself sometimes. You we've all been there. We have oh, all so we good. have all been there, which is the heart of the show. I think is like we've all been there. We've all decided in the middle of a recipe to stop looking at it because you think you remember it, but you don't remember it. We've all used the wrong ingredient at some point. We've all decided to like throw caution to the wind and try to add a little something special, and it doesn't work. And <laughs> and it's I not a problem it. necessarily to be fixed. It's something you can improve. Right. It's something you can learn. But like I was watching a little bit of a. Uh, Tidying the tips up. are nice in the show. Like when they yes. fuck up, like I like I like the little bits where they're like, "Here's why this thing is important," yeah. and that you know it's not overbearing. It's not like some of these shows where it's just shit all over the screen. It feels actually just like a slightly above budget YouTube show. Like it still feels like cheap in a way that is authentic. Mm-hmm. But like the actual UI stuff where they give the tips, I actually found that like often to be. Uh, actually insightful let those cakes cool do not fill the pans if you take two things away from the show just like let the cake fully cool only fill that pan about halfway one-third i wouldn't have known that i would get impatient and i would take that cake out just like i'm 33 and i can't stop burning the roof of my mouth when i make a pizza in the oven because i just want to eat it man (laughs) that my mouth can heal later you got to eat that pizza right now yeah yeah i know and i know and i will tell myself you haven't waited long enough. It's it don't, you don't have to wait that long either. You don't have to wait that long. Or you could get a $30,000 blast freezer <laughs> and just pop it in there for a second. You'll be good. Uh, all right. So that will do it for, uh, for for waypoints this week. Oh, but first, shout outs to the AP Politics uh, social oh fucking God. Uh, account uh, for their invaluable fact check. Uh, the other day of the, who is who is to blame for the uh, ongoing federal government shutdown, uh, informing the country that it takes two to tango. What an and, absolute uh, garbage tweet! It's it's just as much on the Democrats for not acceding to Trump's blackmail demand to build this fucking wall and give him money for it uh, as it is to him for shutting down the government over the fact they won't give him money. Uh, that was that was a great fact check, a fine example of the uh, of the form of the genre. Uh, another proud entry uh, in the uh, in the growing uh, evidence body of work that demonstrates the media remains completely unable to cover this moment in our politics. And 2020 is going to look a lot like 2016, I bet you, in terms of media coverage, because these people oh, aren't we haven't learned their lessons. I know it's unbelievable, Rob. It's so much. Anyway, I I just want to say I thank you for putting that in language normal people like me can understand, Rob. Uh, I'll never stop subtweeting. I'll never stop. <laughs> so, uh, before we go, you should also, uh, if, if you haven't yet, there is a new there there is a new podcast feed from us. Uh, you may have already heard the episodes we did on the Purge series, but now they are also existing in part of a separate feed for the show. Uh, be good and rewatch it. Uh, which we're going to be doing more episodes of uh, very soon, starting with, I believe, Unbreakable, and then Split, all in the lead-up to M. Night uh, Shyamalan's Glass, Glass. Uh, which sort of takes up the takes up the story uh, that was <laughs> apparently a, was unfinished. I did not know this. I thought Unbreakable was pretty finished. It's a franchise now. It's uh, a franchise. Congratulations. 2018, 2019, <clears throat> fuck. Yeah. 
Uh, so we're going we're going to be diving into those movies and maybe also using that as an opportunity to consider the arc of uh, M Night Shyamalan's uh, career. Boy, it's an arc. yeah, it's it's an odd thing. He went from like unlikely hero to fraud to sort of a late career redemption arc. Uh, it's interesting, uh, and I'm very curious to see. Uh, <laughs> he directed a whitewashed Avatar, the last Airbender movie. He sure did. Yeah, he sure did. <laughs> like it's what. And he's back, so, baby. But anyway. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just all of Avatar The Last Airbender and then all of his movie. And then Nicole Byer just goes, Nailed it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we'll be digging into all of that oh on Be Good and Rewatch God. It. Uh, you can you can find the, find that on a separate feed. And I think it's going to be on a separate feed moving forward uh, from, from the general Waypoint feed. Uh, so you can add that to your podcast player of choice, or you can just follow along as we post the episodes uh, on the website. And occasionally remember to update the download link. Uh, but that will do it for this episode of Waypoints. Uh, our thanks to Too Mellow for the track Slide Asleep off the album After Midnight. You can find that at twomellowmakes.bandcamp.com. You can keep up with all of us at waypoint.vice.com. I'm Rob Zachney. You can find me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Patrick, where can people find you? Rob, did you know that Matt Nagy's father oh coached Todd Bowles in high school? I didn't know that. But did you know that Sean McVay's dad uh, is like the overseeing executive for like the Outback Bowl or something and makes like millions of dollars a year doing a job that nobody can really explain or define while unpaid college athletes compete? Oh, he's that guy. That was a dead spin. Yeah, article dude. Recently, no, that's Sean it? McVay's dad. That's Sean McVay's dad. Which again, like, yeah, you know, he is he is sort of the boy wonder of, of the NFL, but at the same time, sure helps if your dad has a million dollar sinecure. Uh, I was going to make a whole joke about how like the Eagle, oh, the Eagles won the game, but I lost the war because I still have to hear you talk about bears. But dunking on millionaires is extremely my shit. So fuck that guy. I can't believe he gets paid that much money to fucking operate one game a year. Ah, also, where can people find you? Austin underscore Walker on Twitter. All right, that'll do it for Waypoints. We hope you've enjoyed the break. Uh, we'll be back again on Friday uh, with another Waypoint Radio. And, of course, once again, uh, do be good and rewatch it and uh, look that podcast up uh, on your podcast player of choice. Uh, hope you'll join us again. But until then, do not give in to astonishment. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.
okay. <clears throat> Waveforms look fine. Ugh. Yep. <laughs> I just want to draw a clean breath, man. I just want I feel to you. feel yeah. not congested. All right. Did you, did you figure it out what it was? If it's allergies or if it's a cold? Yeah, I think it's a cold. Mm. I thought you said last night that it was you were a hundred percent sure it was allergies. Yeah, but that was a a full day ago. Wait, what? We didn't we say a time. <laughs> I did. I said. Are you top fucking of the kidding me, Rob? <clears throat> did he say that? No. I don't, I don't believe. Cotto? Cotto? Cotto, 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 don't no. do not fucking do that to me. Do not, <laughs> you gaslighting sack of shit. You Charles Boyer acting motherfucker. Can we, All right. Can we cut? I've been recording. Can we put this at the end of the podcast? Oh my God. Maybe All we're right. wrong. I could be the wrong one. He could have said it. 40, 40. seconds. Okay. <laughs> Heard that one. All right. No, last night I just became like, it was more like a mania that overcame me like late last night where I was just so tired of feeling this way. I was like, this isn't a cold. This is no, this is no human cold. This is allergies. It's probably that, it's probably that fucking Christmas garland. That thing needs to come down and get in the trash. So I spent like 20, 30 minutes trying to unwind this fucking garland that was just shedding needles right and left. Just like stabbing razor sharp needles. This ain't no uh, cold. It's allergy sounds like a bad horror movie tagline. Like this uh-huh. is a, this isn't no cold. It's allergies. <laughs> All right. The new Claritin ad is weird. <laughs> God. All right, hold on. I need to take a sip of this tea and rally myself to talk. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs>